This is FM 100.5, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's The Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. Now from Adams Place on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. Here's Truman Jones. Good morning, Rutherford County. I want to mention that uh, Bobby Stewart is having her surgery this morning, so everybody be thinking about Bobby. And I know it's all all the all the surgeries right here. They go so well because we have uh, an amazing number of extremely qualified physicians here. And uh, got Paul DeHoff on, and Paul. Uh, we've got a lot of areas to cover because you've been everything, you've done everything. It, it, it's amazing. But um, everybody has been talking about your dad's church right there on Broad Street. Yes. And uh, it has changed hands. And uh, I, I started doing some research on it. And you had already been over there to talk to the minister of the church and and it it sounded a little ominous when you when you look at the title of the church but it's not it's actually a christian church and it it, uh started over in egypt and the poor people you know how christians they're uh, they're a target from for everybody it seems like and then they're they're the most loving people in the world and i've never understood it this is a well the the church was started in 19 Bellwood's Church of Christ started in 1965. Yeah. And um, it sold, uh, within the last two or three months, mm-hmm. um, Billy Heath, who was the last elder there, I guess, and they had gone down to a very small group before the COVID thing hit, and I guess the COVID thing did them in. Yeah. But uh, they sold it to the St. Caris Coptic Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm. And that came out of Egypt. They they came here from Nashville, but uh, they uh, they purchased the property and the grounds and the the building and the lot behind it, which had been part of it. And um, they plan on having services there and and everything else. The Coptics are a very ancient, old church. Uh, After my, the death of chi- of Christ, of course. Yeah, my understanding is that. Uh, there's no definitive evidence as to how the Coptics got started. Some theories are that the Ethiopian eunuch might have had uh, a hand in starting that after he was converted. Mm-hmm. But it's a very old and mysterious group, and uh, they're they're very dedicated to uh, Christianity and uh, have survived in the middle of a Muslim area and uh, been very persecuted for it. But they're over here. Uh, refugees have come over here and... They live here now, and uh, so they're going to be having services there. And we're not the first one. There's are a number across the nation. Yeah, and I didn't right. even realize it. I, I mean, how, how could I be so um, 
uh, unknowing when it comes to something like that. It's interesting that they uh, they are an a cappella group. They don't have instrumental music. Ooh, they're like us. They uh, <laughs> they have uh, baptism by immersion, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's a it's an interesting group. Is that why they picked the Church of Christ building there? Uh, you know, I didn't talk to him about that, but uh, it, it would fit in with a lot of what they do. So. Yeah. Well, uh, I, you and I have talked about it, and, and, and uh, I'm going to try to get you to uh, invite them to be on our show one day once they get uh, – they're not fully operational yet, are they? Uh, my understanding is that they'll start having services at some point here in the near future. Yeah. They've been working really hard to get the building up to – the building had a lot of deferred maintenance on it, and they're doing a lot of repair work and painting and that sort of stuff. Well, since it started 1965, I can understand why. Yeah. And and was it built in 65? It was built. It was building was completed in 1968. Oh, they the church met at uh, Central High School in the auditorium there uh, for about uh, two or three years, uh-huh. and then dedicated the building in 1968. There's still a plaque on the front of it showing all the uh, men who helped build it and get it started. And uh, Glenn Mitchell out at uh, Bud's Tire. That would Bud's, be, Bud's dad. That would be Bud's dad. Yeah, yeah, he was one of the people instrumental in starting that congregation. Wow. And uh, so it's an interesting group. Yeah. All right. You have done so many things across the world. What would you put in your top three? Because I, I've got your book, uh, your dad's book. And... and uh, I've been reading it, and, and I found so many interesting things there. But you're the next to the youngest of the group. I mean, almost every picture I see, uh, you're probably about four feet high or, or maybe three feet high. And, and all the other, George is, and Bonnie. And then your younger sister is the only one younger than you. Yeah, Theresa. Yeah. She, she runs a horse farm over in Franklin, Tennessee. Yeah. And then uh, George and Bonnie are both retired from teaching. Bonnie in Lebanon and George here in Rutherford County. Yeah. And uh, they're still here. And then uh, they've got kids off doing this, that, and the other. One of George's kids is a radiologist over in Brentwood. Wow. And uh, he's done very well. And so they're, uh, you know. uh, How many are in the shop? Over there on Broad Street, DeHoff's uh, publication. George and Bonnie and I own the store, each yeah. a third, and we operate it. We have some people, uh, employees there who operate it. We're in there in and out during the week, but mm-hmm. uh, we have employees there who manage it and operate it. Yeah. And it, we sell a lot of, uh, most recently, tremendous upsurge in sales of communion cups, the individual communion cups. Well, I can see why. All the communion sets that churches used to use apparently that's going to fade away and they're going to the individual communion cups and they're two different styles one is a little plastic cup with a uh a bread wafer on the top of I it i hate that thing it's kind of like a piece of styrofoam almost yes. but it's a bread wafer. i spill it on me and then the other kind is a chalice that has a little plastic chalice has the the uh juice in one end and the bread in the other and it's an actual piece of bread yeah uh, a lot of people prefer that but it's a little more expensive the, the chalice ones are like 38 cents and the others are maybe 22 cents or something but there's a huge difference in the 
in the quality of it and the uh does world outreach use that one i don't know i don't know because that, that would be a, that would be a big sale right there yeah. if, if you go to the what 12 13 cents difference oh my yeah we uh we have uh sold thousands and thousands of them and for one, for a little while there, we were back ordered. They were completely out, but now mm-hmm. they're now they're in. We've got plenty, and uh, we've got them available. And churches come in there and get them, and they'll uh, uh, pick them up, and and they're accessible and ready ready to use. And that, but the trouble is, they're disposable. They are disposable. Every time you use them, you throw them in the trash can. Yeah, but you can recycle that if you want to. If you're into recycling, and I don't know how. <laughs> Well, they could get they could get the part off of my clothes. I mean, I guess they could drain <laughs> that somehow. Now, tell me, uh, top three, what are your favorite things that you've done in your whole life? Um, you know, I used to backpack quite a bit, uh, mm-hmm. Appalachian Trail, Continental Divide Trail. Yeah. And uh, you don't meet any lazy people out on the trail when you're out there. That's When you're deep, ain't it? Um, it's, it's an experience like none others. And... <clears throat> don't use headsets. Don't use anything. You just listen to nature and what's going on around you. And you don't take your phone? Well, I guess you have to take your phone with you well, in case we, something happens. Yeah, early days we didn't even have phones. So. Yeah. But um, and some of the areas don't have tower access anyway, so it wouldn't matter. But uh, it's an experience staying out there. And uh, on the Appalachian Trail, there are uh, lean-tos that were built starting in the civilian conservation corps back that far back in the 30s and 40s Mm -hmm. but um you have to get permits when you're in the national park area but there are through permits that people get and some people get a get fired up and they'll you know they'll start in the georgia end of it and end up in maine and try to do it all in one year which is pretty tough because it's about 1200 miles i know some have done that and uh it, it is uh they'll wear out pair of shoes is going to last about 500 miles maybe 400 mm-hmm. and they'll have to get new boots along the way and and uh they'll ship food containers uh ahead like hot springs arkansas they'll they'll ship a food container to hot springs arkansas mm-hmm. general delivery for pickup between such and such dates mm-hmm. and then when they hike through hot springs in that area they'll come off the trail come down and get their food supplies for the next week or two or three and then take off that way but that's a lot of planning it is it is but you got to eat <laughs> all right now how would you compare that with yellowstone yellowstone's a completely unique experience yeah. yellowstone and yosemite uh outstanding areas and then southern utah bryce canyon zion canyon mm-hmm. those are just incredibly impressive areas uh yellowstone lodges the yellowstone lodge was built of course by the railroads when the when the railroads went west, they built all that area, and then they wanted to draw people in, so they built Glacier Lodge mm-hmm. up at Glacier National Park, and they built Yellowstone Lodge, the idea being that people could ride the railroads in, visit the lodge area and that sort of thing, and then that would promote tourism and promote people using the railroads and drawing them out further west. You know, there's really no reason to ever leave this country. There's always something new to find, and, and uh, there's very few places that you can go to compare any one of those areas to, uh, it, it, it to is, that. It is incredible. At, we spent a week up at Yosemite when we lived out in California, and uh, the uh, 
El Capitan is out there, you know, and people will spend two or three days climbing the face of El Capitan, and they mm-hmm. camp out on the face. They'll pitch their tent on the face of the rock mm-hmm. and uh, spend the night up there. You know, I'm like, you're a better man than I. <laughs> but uh, And in the early morning before 8 o'clock, they'll have hang gliders come off the top of it, wow. glide down into the valley, and then uh, they will, at 8 o'clock, they shut that down. But... Uh, it's an interesting area and and unique in the world. There's nothing else like it. We we went up Half Dome, which is uh, not the you can do, you can climb the face of it, but not that part. But the back part has a cable route that you you hold onto a cable walking up it, and it it's it's considered one of the most dangerous trails in the park system. They will lose several people a year, die. Oh, wow. uh, on that because they let go of the rope or they wander off somewhere and fall off the cliff or something or other. But it's not for the faint of heart, but it is incredibly beautiful and impressive when you get up there. And uh, I remember when I was going up, I was getting near the uh, on up to the top, and I turned to this guy and said, I am about to die. And the guy says, well, you're almost there. He said, it's just over the next ridge, next next rise, and you'll be okay. Did you prepare? Did you really prepare physically for that trip? I was in pretty good shape at that time. My nephew wanted to do it, and I said, "You know, I've already done all that." I'm not, and he finally talked me into it, and we did it. I'm glad I did. Yeah, but it's not for the faint of heart. It's uh, it, it is a unique experience. It's good. I, I've actually seen uh, uh, young people over at the university climbing steps up and down for hours at a time just yeah. to make sure that they're ready for that kind of trip. Yeah, we would run and train ahead of time. And, you know, like when we go out on the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, we'd be out five, six, seven days at a time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you know, the Continental Divide Trail, we would go out to Denver a day or two early because mm-hmm. Denver's at 5,000 feet. And we would go there to acclimate to the to the uh, altitude. Yeah. Because when you're climbing, you know, you're going to start at 8,000 feet or so uh, in Summerland there in Rocky Mountain National Park. Then you're going to climb up to 11,500, 12,000 feet. Mm-hmm. And if you don't acclimate ahead of time, it's a good possibility you'll get altitude sickness. And the, and the only thing you can do for that is come back down. So uh, we never had any problem with that, but we would acclimate ahead of time. Do you actually have individuals that you climb with? Because you have animals in some of those places that are not very kind to you yeah we uh colorado not so bad uh now montana glacier national park that area you're getting into grizzly bear country up there that's a whole different ball game and i've not done any overnight hiking up there i've done hikes but not overnight Mm -hmm. and then uh the uh timber line is about ten thousand five hundred feet in Colorado, so yeah. you get above the timberline, and you're like even sometimes it's like Arctic tundra, and it'll freeze at night up there. Yeah. And uh, you walk along the the crest of the trail, and then uh, you'll come back down to the timberline at night to camp. Yeah. But what is the? I know with your dad being a Church of Christ preacher and and very beloved, and not just this area, but pretty much across the country. He's done so many things. Um, now, you've been to uh, Israel, right? Yeah, we used to guide trips in the Middle East. He uh, he first went over there in 1950 and spent 60 wow. days going through Turkey and Egypt and and uh, 
Israel and Lebanon and Syria and uh, Jordan, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then came back through Italy and Rome and, and those areas. And then he made, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 trips mm-hmm. guiding groups over there, and I would help him do that. We'd go to trips. We had what I call a shotgun trip, which was three weeks. We would go to Istanbul and then visit all the sites of the seven churches of Asia, yeah. the and then drop down to Smyrna, uh, which is the current city of Izmir, mm-hmm. and visit the remaining sites down there. Then take a boat over to Patmos, and Patmos is a Greek island, so you have to coordinate that with uh, Greek permission, and go over to Patmos and see where John wrote the uh, book of Revelation in the caves there. And there's a monastery there that has artifacts in it, including the arm of uh, John the Baptist. Yeah. Uh, so say they. Yeah. And uh, and then we would come back and we'd go into Damascus, see the street called Straight, visit sites in Damascus, drive down through the desert to Amman, Jordan, drop down to Petra in uh, Jordan, and go in there. And that was, uh, if you ever saw the Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones and one of the crusade things anyway. I've seen them all. <laughs> He's going in through the cl- through the uh, canyon there, and, and that's a real canyon. It's a real place. Beautiful place to visit. Yeah. Stunning. Come back through Egypt and through Israel and through Egypt. Did, did, did your dad, I, I know that had been special for him, probably going there the first time and, and following uh, what all happened to Christ uh, in, in his 30-something years that he was here on earth. Uh how how did that affect him? Well, he he told me once that it, as nearly as he could tell, he had been to every place mentioned in the New Testament, mm-hmm. from Dan in the north, which is north of the Sea of Galilee, mm-hmm. to Beersheba in the south, where Abraham uh, built. There are, there are traditional places in the Middle East, and there are historic places. The difference being traditional places, we think this is where this happened, and we think this is the location. Historic places, they know that's the location. For example, yeah. Jacob's Well, uh, that's a historic location. Beersheba, where Abraham dug the well, that's a historic location. They know that that's the same place. Yeah. But uh, a lot of the others are are uh, traditional places. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the city of Jerusalem itself, when you go visit there, this is the upper room, and this, and those are reconstructions, uh, not the originals. We, had, we were in... Uh, Athens at Mars Hill on the uh, on the mount up there, and uh, one of the guys was standing there. We'd taken this whole trip down through everything, and he he said, "Well, this is this is not the place where Paul preached." Hmm. And we went, "Well, yeah, you know, this is a historic spot. This is it." And he said, "No, it's not, because if it was the real place, it would have a Catholic church on top of it." And we we all laughed and we said, "Well, they they did build a lot of Catholic churches in different areas, but uh, but it's inter- you know fascinating history, seeing all the things that were there uh, and the, the events that took place." Now, the people that are residents there, um, you know, here in Tennessee, uh, there are a lot of places that. People love to come to and just fascinating to them, and we pay no attention to them whatsoever. How, how, how do they regard what happened and the historic value of that area? Most of them are um, very aware of what's there, mm-hmm. primarily because the tourists come in, and, of course, the tourists bring in money, and when, yeah. you, when you bring in money, you know, you're bringing in uh, income to the, to the people that are there. And they all have shops, you know, uh, 
I, I remember being in uh, uh, Israel, and this guy was trying to sell me this brass plate, you know, and and he uh, he was talking about all the stuff related to the thing, and he was talking in Arabic, and I didn't understand any Arabic. And then he said Nahshtan, which is a that phrase is actually used in the Old Testament, and what it means is this is brass. Mm-hmm. It is brass. Yeah. And I said, this guy has used the one Arab word that I know what <laughs> what it means. It was brass, and I bought the plate. But uh, do you ever have Christians <laughs> lead you through in in those <coughs> tours? I mean, they they have the buses and all the things that they take uh, one group to the other. And I've had some <coughs> people been over there that that they. Uh, very few are actually Christians that will take you on the tour. That's true. All of the licensed guy, all the guides have to be licensed by the government of Israel. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> In the uh, early years, the government of Israel, um, to, to get the license, you had to take an oath to support the government of Israel or, or not oppose it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the Arab guides would not do that. And some of the Arab guides did, and so they were given licenses, and we always used an Arab guide whenever we could. Big difference between using them and using Jewish guides, the the Jewish guides did not emphasize the Christian aspects of what was going on when we were going through. And now nowadays they've even tried to adopt, instead of saying B.C. and A.D., they'll say B.C.E., uh, B.C. mean before Christ, but they don't want to make any reference to Christ. So then they had B.C.E. before the, before, and originally it was before the Christian era, and now they've changed it to before the Common Era. And the Common Era is zero when Christ was born, which is actually four years off, but that's immaterial. And then A.D. they talk about B.C.E. Uh, or C.E. Uh, common Era. Um, the, the, yeah, CE, the common era. Yeah, and and you'll hear you'll hear references sometimes in National Geographic shows or something. They'll say so and so BCE. Well, there's no reason for changing that other than to take the name of Christ out of it. Yeah, I didn't realize that they were strong on that. Now I know that uh, one of the more interesting weddings I've ever been to in my life was my uh, uh, first uh, uh, cousin married someone in the jewish faith and uh and the wedding was out on west end in in nashville and you could tell the ones that were jewish and the ones that were church of christ they were uh but there was a just a real fun relationship to it all and and uh, my mother just absolutely loved i took her to, to it and she she loved watching all of it and uh it, it just it just tell you that you know, we can get along with just about anyway. Now, there's a few religions that have uh, uh, adopted uh, um, a, a way of Very hostile not... Approach, yeah. yeah, I mean, m- many murders have, have uh, taken place over in, in that particular area just, just because the differences in the faith. And, of course, one of them is pretty much says that um, if, if you uh, break away from th- this particular religion, uh, Religion, you know, you won't be around much longer. So That's right. It, it, it's amazing that the Christian, the Church of Christ, seem to be the most loving of all, and they accept people better. 
Well, we've uh, tried to adopt a position of tolerance, yeah. uh, which waxes and wanes. Sometimes it's more tolerant than others. Yeah. But uh, as my dad used to say, it's it's our job to teach the truth. Mm-hmm. It's the person's job to obey the truth. Yeah. And it's God's job to decide who's in or who's out. And we don't have to, you know, we don't have to go around condemning everybody. It's not our job to judge everybody. No. It's, that's not God's. our job, job at all, actually, when yeah. you get right down our to it. Our job is to teach the truth yeah. and, uh, and let, the, let that fall where it may and uh, um, go from there. Yeah. Now, when, when you travel, you see so many different things. And how, how would your dad look at Paul DeHoff right now with all the things that you've done? You've been part of the legal system uh, at the very top. You, you've uh, dealt with all kinds of major companies uh, in Texas and places like that. Um, what would what would Brother George DeHoff say to Paul DeHoff right now on how he has uh, how he would rate your experiences? Well, I think it's been interesting that in, in all of these corporate experiences, I worked for City Service Oil and Gas Corporation. We were the seventh largest company in the U.S. at yeah. that time. Uh, AT&T was bigger. Mobile was bigger. but And we were bought by Occidental Petroleum. And uh, so I worked with Occidental for a number of years. And then I worked with uh, ConocoPhillips uh, and in the railroad areas that they had. And that was another fascinating thing. But in the course of doing all of that, you also tie that in with being able to help the church and furtherance of Christianity wherever you go. Yeah. Uh, and that's not, you know, saying, well, I hate to see good people get messed up in corporations or politics. Well, who's supposed to do that if we're not, yeah. you know? But in the course of doing that, you don't turn your back on what's going on. You help the local church where you are. You help them do things that are that are there. And, you know, I've taught classes in... Uh, I had a class I was teaching in Bakersfield, California, and we were talking about Genesis and uh, Abraham doing the far country walk and this, that, and the other, and how he had to walk all his distance. And afterward, this guy comes up to me and says, Paul, my name's Homer Gifford. I said, yeah, I know who you are. And he said, I'm one of the last people out here who came to California in a covered wagon. And I went, wow, what? And he said, I didn't want to interrupt your class. I said, you can interrupt my class anytime you want. And he said, uh, he said, but he said, I said, from where did you come from? He said, Stillwater, Oklahoma. He said, I was eight years old at the time. My brother was 10 or 12, I forget which. And he said, our job was to leave the wagon train uh, before everybody else left, get out about a mile ahead. And as we got out there, we would surprise game and shoot game Mm. and hang it on the brush, and the wagon train would pick it up when it came by and he said that's what we ate for supper that night yeah and if we didn't shoot anything we didn't eat that night wow and he said uh i said and you walked all the way out he said yep he said it's a long walk i said i bet it was but interestingly enough i've been out on the internet there's a uh you can look up homer gifford and he was the California or Bakersfield Historical Society or something or other has a, a segment on him out there. Is he is he passed? Uh, he has passed now. Quite, he was quite. he was in his nineties at that time. Oh wow! And that was in uh, that was in the eighties. Did he remember the the uh, the big rush, the land rush that happened? I think it was pretty close to Stillwater. 
I, it might have. I think that was a few years before that. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah. But I just wonder if he had any yeah. uh, knowledge of. What never, happened. never talked to him about it. But uh, he was a fascinating person, and I, I said, "You can interrupt my class anytime you want." You know, we've so, had it. When you think about them in, in in America, growing from east to west, and you you think of all the things that they experienced, um, what do we have to complain about? I mean, it, it, it's amazing, and then, then you, you look at all these controversies that are going on in government. It, it just it drives me crazy. Why do they not realize how special it is to be here, where everybody opened up all the doors for us? We uh, traveled a lot when we were living out in Idaho. My dad was university president out there. Yeah, in uh, Idaho, right? Yes, in Idaho. Yeah. And we came uh, Magic Valley Christian College, operated from about 1958 to 1966 or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were trying to start a, a, a Christian college in the northwest there. And it was a, you know, I had the odds stacked against it when it started. It was a very remote area and very difficult to to uh, fundraise for. During the time we were there, we always had enough funds, but that was based on my dad's contacts and the fundraising. And he agreed to go five years and stayed seven years and, and then we left and came back, and it, it later merged with somebody, somebody else and faded out. But uh, in the course of those travels, we went to the Truman Library. Mm-hmm. And while at the Truman Library, they made an announcement. They said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the library will close in about 15 minutes, and we're going to be closed for an hour. And uh, you are welcome to stay if you want, but you will not be allowed to leave. Mm-hmm. So everybody bailed out. And my dad was there, and he said, yeah, we're going to stay. You know, And there were about 12 of us that stayed. So they closed the library, and then they made an announcement. They said, uh, President Truman and his guests will be coming in here in a few minutes. We're going to land a helicopter in the courtyard. We've never done this before. We think the windows will be okay, but just for safety, back up a little from oh, the yeah. windows. And we're like, okay. And so the helicopter comes in. President Truman and his guests, Lauren Green and, and his wife, who was, of course, the father on Bonanza. Yeah. They got out, came in. He said, you're welcome to go through with us. We talked to him, shook hands with him, this, that, and the other. And sometimes I'll do this deal where, you know, I'll shake hands with somebody. And I'll say, you've now shaken hands with a hand that shook hands with, with President Truman. Yeah. And think of all the people who he was connected with, you know, the uh, connections. He was an amazing man. He was. Yeah, and, and, and you made some tough decisions. Yeah, and you know the people that I consider to be more middle class, common sense type people. I think sometimes they make the best presidents because they can connect, They really can connect with most people, and the decisions he made. I know he, I still believe he made the, the the hardest two decisions a president has ever made, and and when he did that. Uh, it, it took my respect up. Uh, my dad would listen to his uh, uh, radio uh, when, when he would give the State of the Nation and things like that. And I can still uh, remember my dad hollering, Give Mayo Harry. I mean, that was the, the common uh, 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 response to a lot of the things that he was doing back then. While we were going through the library, somebody said, somebody asked him specifically about General Douglas MacArthur. Mm-hmm. And his response was, great general, one of the greatest generals the U.S. has ever had. Yeah. And that's all he said about it. You know, Of course, he, he had fired MacArthur from uh, operations in Korea. 
Yeah, because uh, he was wanting the, to go ahead and take China out. Yep. He wanted to secure the North as well as the South and keep yeah. it one country and, yeah. uh, instead of splitting it. But, uh, but he, it, it, you very rarely heard him say anything negative about anybody. No, he, he, uh, he didn't. You know, he had nothing but good things to say about him at that point. Yeah. Now, how old were you? Oh, I would have been 11 or 12 at that point. Did you realize that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is, this is historic. Yes. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, when I was a cadet at West Point, Truman went into the hospital in uh, July, I think it was. Yeah. And it was expected that he would die. And they, when they do that, when, when something like that comes up, they put military units on 20-minute notice. Mm -hmm. So you have your uniforms all set up. Normally, you can't leave them set up in the club. You have all your uniforms set up, all the brasses on it, everything else, so that in 20 minutes you can grab everything and be gone for for uh, parade duty in Washington, yeah. D.C. Yeah. And at, that month he did not die, so we ended up, you know, you have kind of mixed feelings. It's like, well, if he's going to die anyway, we kind of like the, <laughs> like the job. Mm -hmm. But... Um, he recovered, and he died the following December, but by that time it rotated to a different unit. And so, yeah, you, you know, you, you think of uh, Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and then the transformation from him into Harry S. Truman, and, and you kind of—I'm sure—in that day and time, they, people were worrying about it, and and uh, he handled it so well. I don't think anyone has able to be able to replace another president and do it as well as he did. They they all have their unique traits and characteristics, and it's it's amazing. You know, I, I worked in Washington, D.C. with Congressman Joel Evans when he was representing this area. I loved him. And, uh, yeah. It, it's a fascinating study in human character yeah. being up there. I wish it, I wish Washington was still like that. But unfortunately, it has a disease right now, and it's got to be cured. When President Trump, I know I'm not supposed to. No, I can get into politics. It's my show. Uh, it, 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 I, I, I'm so glad that he recognized all the dangers that we have in Washington right now. And uh, he decided to hit it head on, and bless his heart, he seems to have done quite well since he's been there. Tip O'Neill, when he was Democrat leader in uh, he had retired, and they asked him after his retirement if he had any concerns regarding the way political things were going. He said, yes. He said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but he said, uh, when, we, when I was there, he said, we would hard fight on the floor, this, that, and the other. He said, when we went off the floor, we'd go out and eat dinner, we'd visit, we'd talk. He said, yeah. it, was, it was not personal. It was, it was professional, and it was uh, political. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't personal. And he said, now it's become personal. And he said, that's destroyed a lot of the trust and contact which is needed between people to be able to, to conduct business affairs properly. But uh, he said he, that, that lack of camaraderie was a loss to the system. Yeah. I think uh, people my age and, 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 of course, your age, too, um, we have, I've always believed in um, no term limits. The people stay there longer, and the, the, the more uh, they, they get to understand what goes on in there. I've, I've gone completely away from that because I think that they lose touch 
with the American people when it's only them that are taking place. And it, it's also their career, their life. And if they lose, then uh, where are they going to go? Because lobbying is a big business, and who's going to be the lobbyist? And, you know, they never leave Washington. And, yeah. and, and that that's a, that's a sad state of affairs. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Paul DeHoff. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Now's the time to start teaching good financial habits to your children, and we're here to help. Hi, I'm Nancy with Heritage South Community Credit Union. Our chipmunk and squirrel saver accounts help your child learn how to save and reward them for regular deposits or good grades. Our team cash accounts help your team learn to manage their money wisely and have options to build their credit. To learn more, visit our website, HeritageSouth.org, insured by the NCUA. You like your burger medium well, your peanut butter crunchy, and your mattress firm. It's the little things that make you, you. And you deserve a Medicare plan that fits your unique needs. That's why United Healthcare is offering more plan options than ever, so you can find just the right plan for you. Call 1-800-362-8715. That's 1-800-362-8715 to get Medicare with more. Remember, Medicare annual enrollment ends December 7th. There's an underdog story happening today in America. Small businesses are fighting to make a comeback, but in the moment they have the least, they're giving the most. They're rallying communities and neighborhoods, yet asking for little in return. Well, it's time we gave back. Small Unites is making it simple for everyone to take action and support the small businesses that unite us all. Find out how you can donate, shop, and share today at smallunites.org. At Bud's Tire Pros, they care about those who live and work here because you're a big part of what makes this place great. This is Kay Mitchell at Bud's Tire. Come by and see us at Bud's Tire, 3600 East Main Street, or call 896-TIRE. They will be here through the good times and the uncertain times. For those who are out on the road, stop in today to see their full lineup of Michelin tires. For whatever you drive, Michelin has a tire to fit any need. Bud's Tire Pros, they're essential, they're open, they're local. Visit them online at BudsTireProsTN.com. Now an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. More than $100 million could be left unclaimed if residents don't file their taxes. Correspondent Nadia Ramligan has details. Coordinator of the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program at United Way of Greater Nashville, Tamara Cray, cites many reasons people don't file. They just didn't have the income, or perhaps they're in that in-between area because of their age. They're just coming out of school and didn't work enough hours or enough to earn enough money to have a filing requirement. The Center for Budget and Policy Priority says more than 110,000 Tennessee residents have yet to receive their stimulus payments. Through the sixth day of early voting in Tennessee, more than a million voters have cast their ballot for the November 3rd presidential election. Statewide, there's nearly a 47% increase in in-person and absentee by mail voters compared to 2016, with each county reporting higher numbers than ever before. 
Early voting for the state and federal general election runs Monday through Saturday until October 29th. Election day is November 3rd. United Communications, Middle Tennessee's leading provider of fiber and fixed wireless internet service, and Middle Tennessee Electric, the state's largest electric co-op, announced Wednesday they partnered to build a dark fiber ring to support the city of Laverne's internal communications needs. United will construct and maintain a new dedicated fiber network for all Laverne City-owned facilities. United will make this network available to other businesses in the area, bringing a local option for Internet and communication services to the community for the first time ever. City of Laverne will own and maintain all equipment attached to the dark fiber ring, and United Communications will own the fiber. Socialize with us on social media. Log on to Facebook.com slash WGNS Radio. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. Hey, fellas, I want to encourage you to take care of your health. It's easier than you think at Low T Center. They're reinventing the doctor's visit, making it quick and easy to get all your levels checked, not just your testosterone levels. They offer a comprehensive health assessment so you know all the numbers important to your health. If you've been tired, grumpy, have lack of motivation and drive, or if you've noticed weight gain or loss of muscle mass, those could all be signs of low testosterone levels, low thyroid, or even sleep apnea. Low T Center will help you determine the cause of your symptoms and will help you get back to feeling your best. It all starts with their quick and easy health assessment and is covered by most health insurance. Low T Center's concierge medicine, exclusively for men, and now they offer monitored self-inject at-home testosterone treatments, providing convenience and additional health monitoring measures for your safety, including a take-home blood pressure monitoring cuff. Self-injected home treatments are just $135 a month for self-pay or covered by most health insurance. Schedule your health assessment now at LowTCenter.com. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. Premier Six Theater is open. They're excited to see you again and will be showing some classic movies you'll be sure to enjoy. Check MurfreesboroMovies.com for showtimes. For Premier Six Theater, they're now open. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Welcome back. We we were talking just about, just between the two of us, and now we have thirty thousand people listening. Isn't that something? Isn't that special? It's amazing. And and all those opinions, and and, uh, you know, I I am thoroughly amazed at at the um, level that our listeners listen to. I mean. We have some of the brightest people anywhere in the country, and they tune in to you and myself. Now, what does that tell you, Paul? It's a matter of interest and broadening (laughs) your perspective, you know. All right, let's broaden it way on out right now. Let's talk about the railroad system as it traveled up north. I went to work for uh, City Service Oil and Gas Corporation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... uh, then later went to work for Conoco Phillips. Mm-hmm. Conoco bought Phillips Petroleum, and they had bought Burlington Resources, which came out of Burlington Northern, mm-hmm. which came out of Great Northern, 
which built the railroads across the, the north mm-hmm. from uh, Chicago out west. When they built the railroads, the government did not have enough money to pay them, so they granted them on the township range survey. There's 36 miles square in each in each township and range, mm-hmm. and they granted them the the numbers are one through 36. Each one is a mile square, mm-hmm. and they uh, granted them the odd numbered sections for 20 miles each side of the railroad as part of the pay for building the railroad. Does that have anything to do with the type of work that they, they did so 40, and how much they got? 40-mile swath, the more rail you lay, the more you get along the side. Okay. And so they built the railroads out there, and they would uh, they would explore that area and lay the routes and, and build them. And a lot, of, a lot of that was built by Chinese and by Irish, very heavily influenced in doing that. Fascinating history in it. Yeah. But the, uh, ConocoPhillips still owns that that uh, much of that land out there. They got over six million acres in North Dakota and, and uh, Montana, mm-hmm. and a lot of it's not developed. Uh, it's, it's some of it they've sold the surface on, but others they still have. Yeah. And so we did a history update from the Railroad Land Act of 1862, signed by Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. up to current, and all of the historical documents in between. Uh, 1890s, they had some bankruptcies and reconveyances and that sort of thing. We had one huge set of deeds that was lost. We could not find. We found references to them, but we couldn't find the deeds. Mm-hmm. So I sent a group up to uh, uh, Glacier National Park, where the records are, in the federal courthouse up there. Couldn't find them anywhere. And uh, so they left. The lady calls them a few days later and says, I think I've found your deeds. Wow. She said, we had a we had a lady come in, a group come in and redo our uh reception area and all of that sort of thing. And on the coffee table was a big, huge, oversized, leather-bound book that they put out there for people to look at. And that was our book from the 1890s with all those deeds in it. Had never been microfilmed, had never been microfished, had no record of it anywhere. It was just sitting out there in the lobby. And, uh, of course, we got it You know, we got it up to date and got, found all our records that we needed, but... How uh, long did it take you? Well, it was a pretty good while to uh, initially to find it. Yeah. Um, we, uh, a pretty good chunk of change to, to yeah. pay for that crew. But I had a crew from Louisiana who was doing the work, uh, Bradley Broussard Land Services. And they, somebody asked me why I had them doing the work instead of somebody local. And I said, well, you all have been up here constantly complaining about the problems you've had with the local people. And I said, I know these people, they're really good. Yeah. And I said, I can just tell them what to do and they take care of it. And they, Oh, they did an outstanding job on it. Well, now what did you do for the lady that found it? Now that's what I want to know because she discovered it. One of the local ladies. Up well, there. yeah, she was, the, she was, uh, working in the federal courthouse and we, we sent somebody out there. We sent two guys out there to verify it. By the time they got out there, this will tell you how far back it was. By the time they got out there, Obama had closed all the federal courthouses and shut down everything. You know, that's when he closed the World War II memorial and everything else. So when they got out there, the federal courthouse was closed. And we're like, you know, all we want to do is just confirm that this is the book. And she said, well, I, I guess I can let you in enough to do that. And so she, she looked, and, and they said, can we make a copy? She said, I can't let you make any copies. And they said, and they said well, can we take a picture of it? Mm-hmm. She said, yeah, you can take a picture of it. So we took a picture, confirmed that's what it was, and then later we came back after it was reopened and, and got those records incorporated in our, in our uh, 
title search. Why would she not let you make a copy of it? Because they couldn't do anything that was considered part of the office work during because, the shutdown. Because of the shutdown. Yep, because of the shutdown. And uh, so they, uh, you know, anything that was considered part of the office details or office duties could not do. Yeah. And uh, she was kind enough to let us in and let us take a picture of it and confirm that that is, in fact, what it was, which it was. It's from the 1890s. And uh, then then we came back later and got the, got the full records and everything. But it's a fascinating area in terms of, you know, the, uh, the title that's there, the exploration that's still there, uh, gold, minerals, silver, uh, all that sort of stuff still out there. And uh, Did you see the movie How the West Was Won? I did. How close was that to what happened in that particular well, area? Well, I think it kind of condensed a lot of different instances into one story and segment. Yeah. You, you wouldn't have all of that happen necessarily on the same thing, but uh, where we lived in Idaho, the Oregon Trail came through just a few miles from there, and the wagon ruts are still there. Mm-hmm. You can see where they came through. Idaho had the 49ers, 1849, the gold rush. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, California had the 49ers. Idaho had the 79ers. They came through in, 1970, in 1879, mm-hmm. and they just thousands of people poured in. They took more gold out of the Idaho Valley area than all of the Alaskan gold strike. Oh, but, wow. but it wasn't as spectacular as the Alaskan gold strike mm-hmm. uh, when people were going to Alaska, you know. And But the, uh, Idaho was just an incredibly rich area for gold and silver, and still is today. But the people that were traveling west... They were looking for homes, weren't they? Primarily to, to reestablish. And it's interesting if you take a <clears throat> if you take a map of Kansas and lay it out, lay out a road map. If you look along the main route where the Oregon Trail went, mm-hmm. you'll see a new, another town about every fifteen miles. Mm-hmm. And what would happen is they'd be going west, and they'd say, "You know, this is a nice area. People have gone here. Let's go one more day, and then we'll set up shop there." Yeah. And they'd set up, and so all these towns about 15 miles apart as you're going across thing, and, and uh, I understand that that's part of what the, the Oregon Trail setup was in the course of doing that. And they were setting up their homes and and uh, establishing how much land that, that they right. would work and, right. and things like that. But I can't even imagine going through what they did. It, it was just unbelievable. And, and you know... Today, I think we understand, you know, how many people are actually affected by those things. The the Indian uh, nations were highly uh, affected by it, and, and of course, they were trying to protect their land. And, and uh, but you think about this is really what made America, and it made America great by the people that were traveling out west. That that wanted to be a part of the American dream at that time, and you think how hard they worked, and, and all the dangers that that they faced at the time. And I I'm one of these people. I think the Indian nations uh, were done wrong, but if you look at America and what they did, it it, it really established something unbelievably great, and. Um, it, it, it's just one head meeting another, and um, I, I know Sarah Bell. I've talked talk to you about Sarah Bell. She goes up there, and 
and uh, and my my wife Jackie used to go up there, and they would help build houses and things like that to try to uh, do things for them. But uh, if you look at the entire scope of what happened, uh, sometimes it's things a, it's happen. a third world nation in yeah. some of those areas. Yes, it is. And, uh, but the, but the nation itself is the greatest nation that was ever created. Yeah, we're not perfect. We have no. our warts, but uh, there's no other country in the world that has set up a system which can address those warts yeah. as well as what we have. And what happens at this point is people begin to, they they focus on the exception and make the exception the norm. Yeah. Okay. Someone is killed when they shouldn't be killed and clearly shouldn't be. Yeah. But that's not the norm. That's the exception. And uh, they try to make that exception the norm for everything else to destroy all the good things that are out there. And, uh, you know, we need to work to keep it and and preserve the system that we've got, which has been highly effective and has afforded more people the opportunity to come out of poverty than any other system in the world. And, And just like there have been people that have suffered because... Uh, of the building of this country, as we, as we well know, but but uh, we always try to reach back and try to do things to um, uh, help, to help yeah, yeah, to help the the, the the wrongs that have taken place. The, the The biggest problem with the Indian nations is that they have not been able to adapt to what we've been trying to repay them, and, and but uh, hopefully. One of these days, the I know that the Indian nations have people who have gone to school and become doctors, attorneys, and and uh, uh, architects. All those great jobs that they've done, but there's still that pull back into the the reservation. It, it, it's yeah. extremely strong, and that's one of the reasons it's so hard to adapt. Yeah, I think it was Reagan. Could have been Ford, but I think it was Reagan who put his foot in his mouth by saying that he wanted to grant full citizenship to all Native Americans, all Indians. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, they had, they had a cow because they don't have right free contract without the approval of the uh, – if they're card-carrying Indians, mm-hmm. they can they – can, they have to have the approval of the Indian Nations uh, Council. Yeah, they have their own to, government. To yeah. do things. Yeah. And if they, if they don't have that appro- approval – and you sign a contract with them, they can come back later and say, oh, it's not a valid contract because I didn't have council approval. And you're out. I mean, you, you've you lost. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, when we were living in Tulsa, a um, huge number of people who are actually card-carrying Indians, I mean, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, card-carrying Indians. And uh, Now, what is a card-carrying Indian? They are, a, they are an enrolled member of the tribe. Okay. They are on the tribal rolls, and they receive the benefits and information of those tribal rolls. Mm-hmm. They can live on the reservation or off the reservation. And uh, when you leave the reservation, and you, and you say you go to a university and become extremely successful somewhere else, are you still a card carrying Indian? You are. Wow. You are. And it, but it's kind of up to you to avail yourself the use of that. Yeah. See? We had a situation in Tulsa where a lady had sold a piece of property to somebody. I don't know, eighty or ninety thousand. I don't remember the exact. They then turned around two years later and sold it to Walgreens for like six hundred thirty thousand. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
uh, numbers estimated. But but uh, then she came back and claimed that it was not a valid bill of sale from her because she had not gotten tribal council approval to to alienate that property to sell it, mm -hmm. and therefore the court set aside her sale. That's what the lawsuit was related to, and she was a, an attorney in Tulsa, but enrolled in the tribe, and because she was enrolled in the tribe, when they bought that property, they didn't get tribal council approval for it. And so the court was going to set it aside. They ended up settling the case at some point. I think they gave her half the money or, or something like that. But, but it was a classic example of know who you're dealing with and what is going to be necessary or potential in dealing with them. Yeah. So. But uh -oh. uh, fascinating study. History is all around us when we look at where things are. Well, and and and, and for for this particular situation, it becomes quite complicated. It does because you you want to uh, remain with your uh, upbringings and, and all the, the the. You want to stay attached to your roots. Yeah, you do. And and, and uh, but when you leave and become successful in other areas, it looks like if you're in, in uh, completely away from that particular jurisdiction, it still it would not apply. Well, yeah, we've had cases because they weren't using that. Particular. I've been in court here where we had child custody things, and one of the guys, one of the attorneys, came in and said, "Well, mine's not going to take long," and he had the Indian card with him, and we we're like, "Nope," because anything dealing with the tribal Indian. There's no jurisdiction in the local courts. That has to go to the tribal court. And, uh, you know, they were having a child custody dispute. And even though the, the mother was not an Indian, the father was. Because the father was, that removes the case from the court system here to the tribal council system. Mm -hmm. And they have to go to the Indian tribal court to, to address the Indian issues. And, of course, that's not very advantageous for people who are not part of that tribe. Do so, you, you think that's a plus for the Indian reservations or a negative it to, was to designed, have a different type government set up? It was designed to protect them uh, from abuses which were taking place mm -hmm. uh, and also designed, in my opinion, at times to suppress their influence and in what they were doing. Mm -hmm. But the difficulty has been uh, that it allows people to not take responsibility for their actions. Mm -hmm. They just, you know, well, the, the tribe does it and I'm not, you know, I don't have to be held accountable for it. And uh, so it was interesting. In Oklahoma, you would see license plates, uh, Fox tribe, Muscogee tribe, mm, uh, yeah. tri tribal license plates issued for the cars mm -hmm. because they're not subject to federal thing. Then they would have gas stations on tribal lands and they sell the gas, but they don't have to pay any of the federal taxes on it because it's on tribal lands, not on federal lands. Yeah. So they can sell the gas a lot cheaper and, and make significant amount of profit off of that for the tribe. Yeah, you see a lot of stores, especially out west, that are run by uh, the people that are from the tribes out that way. Yeah. And they seem like they do well, but it seems like most of the people that are running uh, those particular uh, businesses are ladies. I mean, the ladies are 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 very responsible out there. When uh, we lived in Tulsa, the chief of the Cherokee tribe was Wilma Mankiller, and uh, she I said, love those names. She said, 
many of the Cherokee names, of course, are, are associated with activities which the people did or, or what happened. She said, but I will, I will point out that my name is not associated with an activity of the, of the family. You know, mm-hmm. my name is Mankiller, but it's not related to that, you know. And, uh, that made you feel better. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, but she was a very effective Cherokee chief, uh, extremely effective. Yeah, uh, they were so nice when Jackie and I went out west. Uh, mo- most of those businesses were very, very uh, hospitable, uh, hospitable, you might say. And and then, but I noticed a lot of the guys were not not that way. And and I think they still carry a lot of the things. And I don't, I, I can't blame them. They're more detached yeah. uh, in many instances. And my dad was real good friends with Joe Gilmore, who lived in California. He was uh, one of the chiefs of one of the tribes, and he lived off the reservation. He said, I don't understand. Now, this is Joe Gilmore talking. He said, I do not understand people who just sit around, do nothing all day, waste their entire day, have no incentive to do anything, and don't do anything. He said, I just don't understand that mentality. Yeah. He said, they need to get out and be doing things. And... uh the problem is to motivate them, um, the standard response off, often is, I don't have to do that. I'm I'm one of the uh, reservation tribe here, and I don't have to do it. You and, can't and give things away. You really can't do it. And, and, and of course, one of the biggest problems they have is alcoholism. Yes. It is rampant in, in, in the Indian reservations, and mostly men. I mean, you it, very rarely see a lady. There, there is a way. genetic difference between the... Uh, Native American peoples and how it affects others uh, from the information that I've had anyway. Yeah. So it's very destructive. Mo- most of the um, the Cherokees were, were a different group. Now, the Cherokees, they were far ahead of us as far as uh, businesses and, and how they had governments in, in, in those particular areas. They were amazing people. And, and, and Sequoia invented the Cherokee written language. Yeah. He uh he he was highly educated and he he personally uh invented the Cherokee language. Yeah. So that they would have records of things. And they were uh they were a very uh very aggressive warrior group. That's one of the reasons why they were so big is because they had conquered so many other people. Mm-hmm. After the uh, French Indian Wars, there was a British major who was his job was to go around to all these villages and tell them, you know, treaty's been established, no more killing uh, the whites and this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And as he went around to these villages, there would be, he would he went into one huge village where no white man had ever been before, and he's got the, the Indian chiefs escorting him around to these villages. And here's all these white children, uh, little children running around everywhere, mm-hmm. and they were the captives that had been brought in, but yeah. they were slaves and women who were slaves. Yeah. And he explained to him, well, I have to take these people with me, you know, as part of the treaty. And the Cherokees were like, well, show us where that is in the treaty. And, of course, it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And he said he had to leave them, you know. And uh, and so he left them and went on to the next village. But uh, but, but they were treated uh, properly. No, no. They weren't? They had to live for themselves, fend for themselves, live wherever they could uh, in the village, uh, scavenge for their own food. Mm-hmm. And uh, very roughly treated. Mostly, but, most people don't realize that slavery has run the gamut of populations across yes, the world, is. and 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 it's never been a good thing. And thank goodness 
um, we're we're in good shape right now as far as where we're growing toward, and and I like that. Uh, Paul, I've enjoyed it. It's always a lot of fun when you're on, and very informative. And um, we'll, well have to do it again. I, I appreciate it, and it's uh, interesting to be able to visit with you. Yeah, it's fun for me. All right, guys, we'll see you in the morning at 9, and John Blankenship will be playing some of his great music and telling a lot of terrible jokes. We'll see you then. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Thank you.